Very strange, very weird. We have ended March. We've headed into what would have been Final Four weekend, and yet there is no Final Four in 2020. Still, we persevere on, we reminisce, we have our memories, we talk about the fun times, the good times. That's what we're here to do on the nation's college basketball show and podcast, College Basketball Coast to Coast. I am your somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. I've got some special guests coming up to help us out. I hear as we all get through this together, this was supposed to be a great weekend in Atlanta where the 2020 national champ would have eventually been crowned on Monday night. Uh, But instead, it's not going to happen. We're never going to know how the 2020 NCAA basketball season, Division I or otherwise, any of their seasons would have played out. But in particular, the men's Division I basketball championship for the first time in almost 80 years, not being played in 2020. So... Uh, unfortunate, uh, but uh, here we are with this reality. I promise you this, you're going to be highly entertained with stories from years gone by, especially in the recent framework of the NCAA tournament, let's say the last 30 years or so of the NCAA tournament. Got some special guests to help reminisce. Straight ahead, you'll hear from Joe D. Ambrosio. Joe D., who is in Connecticut doing uh, local Connecticut radio in Hartford, but also is the former uh, basketball voice of the Connecticut Huskies on radio for not one, not two, but four national championship wins from 1999 through 2014. I look forward to hearing Joe's stories about Jim Calhoun, Khaled El-Amin, Kemba Walker, Ameka Okafor, all of the Shabazz Napier, all those guys in and around all of those championship teams, Richard Hamilton, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that did so well for UConn for so many years and helped them win titles. Joel will have stories inside and out talking about those championship wins. He also had an occasion where he crossed over as not only the men's, but the women's UConn basketball announcer, and it intersected with combined Final Fours in the same weekend. Look forward to his stories. Going to have a lot of fun reminiscing with him about Connecticut basketball. Then my man Ari Russell will be here on the program. Ari has been with me as a correspondent, as a reporter on this podcast, going back in different life forms, including Sirius XM, now on TuneIn. Uh, he and I have been together in, in multiple Final Fours, some eight or nine Final Fours now. So I am anxious to uh, talk with Ari Uh, about his memories in particular he and I share a great story of 14 years ago in Indianapolis when the Florida Gators eventually triumphed in a final four that had George Mason UCLA and LSU Uh, we will talk about a uh, a tremendous uh, weekend that we had that also involved not only excitement on the basketball court but excitement with the weather and a downtown tornado looming in Indianapolis in Indiana So we'll tell that story, and then uh, we also were together just four years ago in Houston, Ari and me and and my colleague Mark Wise, who you'll hear from later on in the podcast, as Villanova won in as dramatic a finish as you could ever imagine with a last-second three. Ari and I will be relating stories about all of that uh, straight ahead. Then, as I mentioned, the coach, the analyst, Mark Wise, former Purdue and South Florida assistant, now longtime television analyst on ESPN and the SEC Network. He will be on the podcast. Mark was also part of the uh, part of the Florida Gator radio broadcast uh, as uh, their analyst. And the Gators obviously are the last team to go back to back in NCAA tournament history. The 06 and 07 Gators of Joe Kim Noah. Uh, Al Horford, Torian Green, Corey Brewer, and company winning back-to-back titles. Mark was right there on the call with the legendary Mick Hubert of those games. Has so much perspective on the Final Four. He actually goes back 
to being an assistant at Purdue when they were in the 1980 Final Four. Mark was also in attendance at the 1983 NC State Houston uh, showdown, the miracle shot from Derek Wittenberg and Lorenzo Charles as the Wolfpack of Jim Valvano took down Five Slamma Jamma. He was in the building that night uh, with stories. Mark's got other stories as well to relate from the Final Four. Anxious to talk to Mark Wise. And then we'll close out this heavy hitter show with Matt Zimmick. Uh, Matt of BadgerWire.com, a great basketball mind and historian on the Final Four and favorite moments. Uh, BadgerWire.com is the USA Today website covering Wisconsin basketball out of the Big Ten. And I'm going to talk to him about the 2015 Final Four when the Badgers derailed the last unbeaten team to make it all the way to a semifinal. That was Kentucky that year at 38-0, and knocked out by Wisconsin in the semifinals at Lucas Oil Stadium in 2015. So Matt Zimmick will have perspective on that, on other Final Fours. Love his insight as he will come up later on in the podcast. A reminder again, however you found us, wherever you found us through a social media link, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spreaker, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify. Just search College Basketball Coast to Coast and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Love it whenever a new one comes out as we're coming to the end of this season, which obviously screeched to a halt. It actually slammed on the brakes. Uh, The emergency break even pulled on the season on March the 12th when everything shut down and then just hours after all of the conference tournaments shut down, the NCAA announced there will be no tournament uh, for this year at any level, including men's division one. So it's been unusual, uh, but traditionally we're here from uh, November through April with college basketball coast to coast. So subscribe, subscribe away. Whenever there's a new podcast, we'll come your way with college basketball coast to coast. Uh, go and find us and subscribe and rate us and review us through those different outlets, Spreaker, Apple Podcast, etc. All right, with all of that out of the way, let's get to the guests talking some UConn basketball straight ahead. Stories about Final Fours in the 90s, in the 2000s, in the 2010s, and much more. Let's get rolling. Well, looking forward to spending some time talking about one of the most successful in terms of Final Four programs, really, of the last 20 years. And uh, Joe D'Ambrosio has been right there courtside on the call for all four of UConn's national championship wins, 99-04-2011-2014. He's got lots of rings to go, go along with memories and that kind of stuff. Joe D., Great to have you on the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast. Thank you for being willing to reminisce. First, how are you with all the craziness, the coronavirus pandemic? We're all isolated, social distancing, no March Madness. How are you getting along, sir? TJ, it's good to hear your voice, my brother. Uh, I'm good. Uh, we've been broadcasting from all our respective homes for the last two weeks uh, at WTIC. I'm now uh, part of our morning show uh, with Ray Dunaway, so I do what they're limited there is of sports, which, as you know, uh, isn't much. And if it wasn't for the NFL, there'd be nothing. Um, and I do the morning show from 5.30 to 9, and then I watch a lot of old games on TV, do a little bit of reading, and, you know, take take a bit. The one thing that this has done is I'm now working mornings, as I now used to do, it's helped me catch up on my sleep. Yeah. That's been the only benefit. That is the only benefit of it. Well, and what's and what's interesting, I've said this for so many years, and you can identify, because I have done morning radio on and off, going all the way back to the college days of getting up at 4 in the morning or 5 in the morning and doing the morning show, the morning news, 
right on through professional career, locally, nationally, you never get used to getting up at 3 or 4 in the morning. And it's even worse when you get out of the habit. As you know, Joe, I can hear the smile in your voice. When you get out of the habit for a few days, it gets even harder to go back to it. You just you don't ever get used to it. So No, and no people who have done it for years uh, say they never get used to it. It's just not... It's just not a natural time to get up. I mean, when we were younger, <laughs> we were all getting in at that time. But that was a whole different story. And then we'd sleep till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, TJ, it's here in Connecticut, we've got it. Being on the border with New York, um, we've had a, a real uptick in the amount of positive tests. Right. And the amount of people um, uh, uh, getting tested and, and, and even in the amount of deaths. So it's been uh, it's been pretty grim. Uh, our high school association was the first one in the country to to cancel the winter sports championships, and when they did it, it brought great outrage uh, from parents and kids, as you might expect, and coaches. And they turned out to be prescient because everybody followed suit in the two days after that. Well, right, and no one, no one with any brain cells, Joe, is going to argue that we aren't doing the right sensible thing right now, which is social distancing, isolation, and let this thing calm down. And no one, by the way, along the same lines, you didn't say this, I'm just saying it for the audience, for everybody, no one knows what's going to be the future or not in June or July or August. we got to get there first. So for right now, we're doing the right thing. Everybody, do what you're doing. Uh, it's different. It's odd. It's difficult when you're such a huge March Madness fan like I am, like Joe is, like many of you listening to this podcast are, we're all having to do without. We're making the best of it, and this guy, I promise, is going to cheer us up with some uh, with some great stories. So, uh, the first UConn title, and, and lo and behold, it happens in 1999 after some opportunities to have been in and around the Final Four, etc. Elite Eight previously get to the Final Four and end up winning the whole thing. And lo and behold, we're, we're forever connected because you were on the call and it was happening in my town, in my area, in Tampa Bay, Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, where UConn uh, that weekend defeated Ohio State and then Mighty Duke on the Monday night for the national championship. When you reflect on title number one, Joe D., what do you think about? Well, you know, the funny thing, TJ, is you know 99% of the sports world thinks the trop is a dump, okay? <laughs> the 1% of the world that thinks it's a Taj Mahal are the people who follow UConn basketball. <laughs> because as you said, that was the place that UConn won at first. You know, it was such a struggle before that. UConn, as you had alluded to, had had, you know, so many occasions to, to, to get to the Final Four, and they didn't. On uh, 94, they were the one seed in the East. Daniel Marshall gets hurt. They lose a Sweet 16 overtime game to Florida in Miami. 95, there was only one team in the country that could beat them. That was UCLA. They were in UCLA's region. They lost 102-96 in the, in the West Regional Finals in Oakland. UCLA, Oakland, you're going to see a theme here. 96, right. um, they, 96 may have been their best team that never won. Uh, it had Ray Allen. It had Ricky Moore. As a freshman, it had Travis Knight, Jerome Sheffer. They were the one seed. Moore got hurt in the first game. They lost to Mississippi State, a team that had three NBA players in Lexington. And then 98, they played in Greensboro, 
where they won a miraculous semifinal game when Rip Hamilton hit a, a third-chance rebound hoop at the buzzer to beat Washington, and then they played Vince Carter and Antoine Jamerson in Greensboro, which is a, a neutral floor, remember, <laughs> North Carolina in Greensboro. So, so you, UConn in 99, they played with a confidence all year long. Duke got all the publicity, but all through that season, TJ, UConn had the feeling that this was going to be different. They had a, a knee knocker against Gonzaga when Gonzaga was still a cute little underdog in 99 out in Phoenix. Uh, ugly game. Khaled Alamin didn't make a shot. Went 0 for 12, but Rip Hamilton was brilliant, and they won. Then uh, the first game, they played the first semifinal on Saturday, the 27th of uh, March in 1999, against Ohio State against Jim O'Brien, who used to be a UConn assistant, and when he was at B.C., they were big rivals, him, him and Jim Calhoun. Friendly rivals, but rivals. And UConn won that game. They shut down the kid, Scooney Penn, who was a terrific guard. Ricky Moore locked them up. Uh, so they weren't, they weren't intimidated playing Duke. They thought all along that they could match up with Duke. And I remember doing the pregame interview that night. And you know what it's like at a Final Four. Um, it, it's tighter than a drum. So I had to make sure I was there when the bus got there, walk through the hallways with Jim, a walk into the, he had to stop and do an interview with Bonnie Bernstein with CBS. Um, and then we settled in to do our pregame interview. And Jim was so calm. He was so relaxed. And I got back to the, to the broadcast location, which back then was conveniently located in the second row. And I said to Wayne Norman, I said, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, Jim is just like, Jim's got all the confidence in the world. And then, he should have because it played out well for UConn. But that's that's what I remember about that night was how confident Jim was that his team was going to get it done against Duke. Because look, UConn was a nine and a half point underdog, which was stupid. If I was betting at the time, I was taking one thousand UConns. I thought they could lose TJ. I never thought they'd lose by nine and a half points. Well, and, and I, I remember several things about that night. One of them, uh, humorously, was. For those of us that were, how shall we say, short-term invested in different pools and, and brackets and side games, uh, I needed UConn that night because I was in the lead. I don't think, as I recall, I don't think I had UConn still, but there were plenty of people that had Duke and I did not. And so right. uh, Joe D, Jim Calhoun, Khaled El Amin, I'm thankful for all of you for that for that <laughs> night at Tropicana Field for that reason, uh, for the mere denial. Uh, and by the way, it will book into 2014 and that story coming up uh, in a moment. Uh, uh, so anyway, I, I still remember him jumping up and down the indelible image. CBS caught it of El Amin jumping up and down. We shocked the world. We shocked the world. Uh, because yeah. it was against Duke, if it had been against Ohio State, even if it had been against Michigan State, uh, or somebody other than a blue blood like a Duke or a Kentucky, doesn't it make it more special to look back on that one being oh, the first one? There's no question. The only thing that would have been better is if it could have come against Providence College. The people at <laughs> UConn, because the UConn fans despise Providence College. They look at him as the annoying uh, little stepchild. Um, and it's going to be interesting. They're going to reunite. This year, and I can guarantee you the fever is still going to be as good. But no, Duke, Duke obviously, um, UConn lost to them in 1990 before Christian Leitner hit the shot against Kentucky. Yep. Uh, at the end of overtime of the East Regional Finals in East Rutherford, uh, Leitner hit a shot to send Duke to the to the Final Four, where they probably got uh, pancaked 
by UNLV. Um, then in 91 at the Silverdome, and talk about a bad atmosphere for basketball, <laughs> um, UConn, UConn lost to Duke, and it's the game where Rod Sellers kind of pushed Leitner's head into the floor, uh, used him as a prop as he was getting up, and then Sellers was suspended next year for the first NCAA tournament game. Um, you know, so Duke was always a thorn in UConn's side, especially the fan side, especially from the fan standpoint, DJ. UConn fans just didn't, didn't like Duke. They beat them for the first time in 94 uh, at the grade eight in Chicago. Uh, Ray Allen and Kevin Ollie had terrific games, and they beat a Duke team that wasn't a great team. In fact, that was the year that Coach K sat out most of the year with the back problems. Right. Um, so, to beat, so to beat Duke, to beat the evil empire of college basketball, as far as UConn fans were concerned, that made it all the, all the more special. Uh, the voice of Joe D'Ambrosio. Follow him at Joe D'Ambrosio on Twitter. Uh, again, uh, a privileged position to be on the call of not one, but four UConn national title runs. And we're reminiscing with him about that since we have no Final Four this weekend. I love Joe. Whenever I get a chance to talk to him, I always uh, ask my guests out of courtesy, how long do I have? He's like, how long do you want? How long do you need? I, I can talk for hours. Yeah. I mean, they won, they won four titles if need be. Um Okay, so let's let's advance along because UConn became more of a powerhouse, obviously into the 2000s, and that 2014 with a Mecca Okafor again. You're going to smile. I can't see you. Knocks off Duke in a national semifinal in San Antonio. I was there. Um, still, still impressed and amazed because that's Duke, right, with Sheldon Williams and with JJ right. Redick, if I remember. Uh, two yep, big time, right. big time names, and UConn undaunted wins that. UConn beats Georgia Tech in the title game. Reflect on championship number two, please. Um, UConn had lost to Georgia Tech in the Holiday Festival or whatever they were calling it then at the Garden. Emeka had a bad back, barely played, and Georgia Tech waffled UConn, and they kind of, you know, they kind of talked a little smack afterwards. Paul Hewitt, who was their coach you know, talked a little smack and UConn kept that, um, kept, kept that in the, in their memory bank. Uh, UConn won the big East. They, they beat Pittsburgh. It was the third straight year, TJ, that those teams played in the big East final. They had just bid, they had, uh, come upon their own little blood feud. Uh, UConn won in 2002 with, with the great Karan Butler, Pittsburgh, the better team won in 03. And then UConn won in 2004. So UConn had, had all the momentum of the world, going in the NCAA tournament and they and they raced through the first four games they they beat Vanderbilt they walloped Alabama in the regional final in Phoenix again which is which has turned out to be a great spot for uh for UConn uh and then they played Duke in the semifinal and Okafor uh who was who was back being healthy got two fouls in the first two or three minutes and Jim used to have a steadfast rule if you got two fouls in the first half, he was going to take you out. His reasoning being he needed you in the second 20 minutes. So Okafor sat the bench. Duke took control of the game. But at the same time, Sheldon Williams, who had a nightmare of a game. I was just looking at this game the other yesterday, in fact, because the anniversary of it was Friday, April 3rd, and I mentioned it on our sports, my sportscast on, on WTIC. Sheldon Williams got his third foul in the first half and had an awful game was one for nine. Uh, so Okafor came back was brilliant in the second half. 
But UConn was down eight at 75-67 with three minutes to go. They went on a 12 nothing run. Okafor hit the rebound hoop that put them up for good at 76-75. Uh, then they hit three free throws down the stretch. Duke hit a meaningless three at the buzzer, and UConn had gotten back to the to the Final Four. And who should they see on the other side of the bracket was Georgia Tech. Oh, poor poor engineer, poor uh, poor texters. Uh, <laughs> UConn had a very UConn was not like a big league reliever. TJ UConn had a long memory, and they remembered what happened at the Garden, and they remembered all the smack, uh, and they just they just blasted Georgia Tech in the first half. The second half of that game was just a coronation. Uh, and so UConn had its had its second national championship. Okafor, who should have won Player of the Year that year, and Jameer Nelson did, um, somehow uh, had a brilliant Final Four. Uh, ben Gordon was terrific. Uh, Talik Brown had been the point guard for four years, and all anybody wanted to know was how Jim Calhoun could go with Talik Brown at point guard. Uh, he was he was great. Rashad Anderson, Denham Brown, and they had great size. They had Josh Boone who played his best basketball as a freshman, Charlie Villanueva coming off the bench, and Hilton Armstrong coming off the bench. And they went on, They both came, went on to go play in the association. So that 0-4 team might have been the most talented UConn team as far as uh, championships are concerned. And from a personal note, I was still doing the women's games at the time. And the women were in the Final Four in New Orleans. So my weekend, so here was my weekend. Here was, here was my weekend, right? Thursday, uh, we flew down to San Antonio. Uh, Friday, we went to the practices. Uh, Friday night, I might have gone out for a while. Uh, Saturday, we played the second game against Duke. So UConn won. Uh, Six o'clock in the morning, I was on a flight uh, from uh, San Antonio to Dallas to New Orleans. The one thing I found out that weekend was there were no direct flights. Uh, did the women's game that night in New Orleans. Uh, left half my wardrobe there because uh, they you know, won. I was going to be back on And they Tuesday. won. Right, right. Right. Crack at dawn Monday morning. Flew New Orleans to Dallas to San Antonio. I should have been a subscriber to the Dallas Morning News at that time because I would walk from one gate to the other. And I'd pick up the Dallas Morning News because it had a phenomenal sports section. Monday night did the men's national championship game. Couldn't get a flight out of San Antonio on Monday night. So we had to drive to Austin yep. at the crack of dawn and flew Austin to Dallas and New Orleans. Did the women's championship game. Basically collapsed in my room afterwards. People said, did you have a good time in New Orleans? I said, yeah, I had a great time. I saw the pool and I saw the basketball arena and that was it. And then flew home uh, on, uh, on Wednesday. And I, and I am... And I'm proud of this. I'm the only broadcaster to ever done men's and women's national champions in the same year. Craig Way was doing the Texas games in 03. They, he was the first guy to do both teams in the Final Four, but both his teams lost. And so, and you ended up going back and forth twice. I remember you telling me part of that story. Just thank yeah. God the women's final four wasn't in Spokane. Like they, I think oh, they had it. it they had it like yeah. in Tacoma one year. They had it maybe yeah. uh, in a couple of other places. Uh, so at least it was regionally easy to get to on the back and forth. Yeah. What a great story uh, from Joe yeah, D. It was, it was, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, yeah, you can look back on that and say pretty cool, pretty cool on both. And how many would how many would uh, relish a chance to do one, much much less both, uh, in a in a weekend? 
Um, all right, so now we get to, again, talking UConn stories. No Final Four with Joe D'Ambrosio, uh, voice of the UConn Huskies for their four national championships in college basketball, 99, 04, and oh, 2011. Uh, the year of Kemba Walker, the Big East run, and five wins in five days just to go to the NCAA tournament. It's easy to say in hindsight now about how how that team did what it did. But I just wonder a couple of fun ones. As it was going on in New York, at what point did it begin to enter the consciousness of Joe D? We might have something here, and UConn might be able to win this tournament. Was it game two? Was it game three? Was it not until the championship game? What about it? It was after Kemba made the shot against Pittsburgh when he broke Gary McGee's ankles uh, at the buzzer. Because UConn had lost the two games going in, they lost their senior day at Stores against Notre Dame, which was a real good team that year. Notre Dame was 25-5 and in the regular season. So UConn didn't have much momentum, obviously, going to the tournament. The first game, they played DePaul, and they beat them pretty well. The second game, they played Georgetown, and Georgetown was injury-plagued, and UConn beat Georgetown. Then the third game was a noon game on a Thursday against Pittsburgh, which was the league regular season champ and UConn fell behind in that game 20 to eight. And I remember thinking, yeah, nice run. You know, hopefully we, we get home games in the NIT, <laughs> but they made a comeback. Uh, Kemba was brilliant. They, they Kemba missed a shot with about 20 seconds to go in that game. And a kid named Jamal Coombs McDaniel, really slender six, seven kid grabbed the rebound and had the presence of mind to call timeout. And that set the stage for, for Kemba's shot, which probably has been played back 8,473 times <laughs> since then. Uh, and I've gotten more I've gotten more props for that call than anything I did in 26 years of doing the games. Uh, then the next night... What was the call? Played, do you remember exactly? Oh, what it, yeah. Give me the exact I, I as best re- you can recreate. I, I, won't do the, I won't do the fake crowd noise, but is, what did you scream? I what did you say? Remember, uh, uh, Walker's got it. With however, McGee's out him on a switch. Walker with six moves right, goes left, steps back. The jumper, it's good at the buzzer. <laughs> and Kemba Walker has sent the Huskies to the semifinals or something. The, the yep. end is a little is a little rocky, but yeah, it was uh, it was yeah, it was it was incredible because he had, we had seen him do that a couple of times during the year. He had a couple of great buzzer beaters during the year. Uh, then the next game. Friday night, first game, Syracuse, arch rival, overtime. UConn beats them. And then the next game, the championship game, Louisville and Patino. And Patino and Jim weren't breaking bread at any point. And Louisville was, <laughs> you know, obviously a higher seed. And then so UConn wins that game. So they 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 win and they go to the they go to the NCAA tournament. Uh they win the first couple of games of the NCAA tournament. In fact, the, uh, the the second game in the NCAA tournament, they beat Cincinnati, who was a Big East rival, obviously, uh, at the time. The first game, they beat Bucknell. Then they beat Cincinnati. Then they go out to Phoenix, and they beat Kawhi Leonard and San Diego State in the in the Sweet 16. And then in the in the Elite Eight, Arizona's got two chances in the last five or six seconds to win, and they don't. Uh, UConn, uh, the shots miss wide open shots. Uh, so UConn wins. 
Then they play Kentucky uh, and Calipari, again, another guy uh, who with Jim was not a bosom buddy. Uh, they beat them. And then the Butler game, Brad Stevens, the year after they lost to Duke, maybe as ugly an NCAA championship yeah. game as there's ever been. I mean, it was 21-18 at the half. Butler was on top. UConn shot horrendously. But Jeremy Lamb and Kemba, and look, Kemba was fried at this point, as you might expect him to be. Um, but Jeremy Lamb, Shabazz Napier, uh, Alex Oriaki all stepped up to help Kemba. And, and UConn got its third national championship. And undoubtedly the most, the most unimaginable uh, of, the, of the four Final Fours. I would even give you that 2014 might have been uh, less, of a, less of a shocker than 2011 was. Not that 2014 wasn't, but to win 11 straight games – all must-win situations, and to have a player played like Kemba played was unbelievable. I wonder, because they did damage, obviously, against quality teams on the neutral floor, do you think by the time that UConn had gotten to the Big East championship game that the at-large case would have improved enough to still get in? They ended up being a three-seed. Uh, being based on on winning the tournament, winning the championship, I have to believe they would have still been in even without winning the automatic bid, uh, having won the four games and beating the teams you described. Do you have a quick thought on that before we move on? Yeah, I thought they had to win a couple games. I thought they had to win at least the first two games to get in. Because um, the committee, if you remember, and you were you were you know involved with USF at the time. Yep. Um, if you remember, the committee was. The committee liked the Big East, but they didn't. They didn't treat them like they treated the ACC or the or 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 the Big Ten. So I thought UConn had to do had to do a little damage. And you mentioned the the the, the neutral floor games. The Maui Invitational was Kemba's coming out party. Uh, they beat Wichita State, Michigan State, and Kentucky. And Kemba got better one game to the next. His first half in the championship game against Kentucky of the Maui Invitational that. And Karad Butler's second half in 2002 against Maryland when they lost, maybe two of the best halves of basketball I saw anybody play for UConn. And Kemba was great in the second half of the of the of the Wichita State game, the first game there, because he only had two points in the first half, and then he had 29 in the second. But that first half of the Maui Invitational against Kentucky, uh, he was he was absolutely brilliant. I love these stories and the insight of Joe D'Ambrosio reliving UConn in the Final Four. If we have no Final Four, Joe is an encyclopedia of UConn championship wins because he was on the call uh, for all of them here. So that leads to 2014, and again, a great run with Kevin Ollie uh, as the coach to get to Dallas. Um, It it ends with a a regional final win over... um, uh, over Michigan, Michigan State, State that year, you uh, you did not play the one seed because Michigan State uh, had beaten Virginia, and so at Madison right. Square Garden, UConn defeats Michigan State. As best you can recollect, easy to say now. What kind of chance did you think UConn had, if at all, having having uh, advanced there uh, out of the Big East tournament, having won in New York to win the whole thing, Joe? Zero, nada, <laughs> because they had lost. They lost their last. This was their first year in the in the AAC, um, and Louisville was in the AAC too at the time. And Louisville was the big dog. And UConn lost their um, last regular season game to Louisville at the Yum Center, eighty-one to forty-eight. Ooh. In TJ 
that was a game that was not as close as the final score would indicate. Mm-mm-mm. They got they got trucked. So then they went to the first AAC tournament in Memphis, and they did pretty well. They got to the finals. Uh, they beat Memphis in Memphis. They beat Cincinnati, and then they lost to Louisville. But it was a much better game. But still, you know, it was it was Louisville um, that was the better team. So you kind of got you kind of got a break. You kind of got into the East Regional, and they started in Buffalo. Uh, they were losing in the final minute to St. Joe's, and Amita Brima, who was a freshman, hit a rebound shot with like 39 seconds to go, and then hit a free throw um, to send the game to overtime, and he was not a great free throw shooter. Mm. So they If got I remember, you just jogged me, if I remember, did St. Joe's not have the ball in the opening round game at the end of regulation with a chance to win, and if not a shot to win, and what might have happened, how might everything have been different if that shot goes in, it doesn't go in, right. and look what happened yep. after. Do I remember that right? Yep, you do. UConn, UConn had a great overtime and won. Then they played Villanova. They were down at halftime, but they played a terrific second half and won. And then they got the break. They were in the East Regionals, and for the first time in 50 years, the East Regionals were at Madison Square Garden. And you you remember oh, yeah. what kind of an advantage it was. UConn and Syracuse were New York City's two teams. The hell with St. John's. <laughs> the hell with Rutgers. Right? It was it, the hell with Seton Hall. Seton Hall, it right. Was UConn, it was UConn and Syracuse that were the two teams that people in New York City loved. Well, I don't know how all the UConn fans got all the tickets they did, but they might as well have played it at the Hartford Civic Center because the building was rocking. Iowa State was hurt. Their best player had been injured. UConn got by them. And then Michigan State, 2.30, Sunday afternoon at the Garden. Um, really one of, the, one of the most enjoyable, fun broadcasts to do because the building was so alive. And people were just – people. Met, the UConn fans didn't sit down for two hours. It was, it was that kind of intensity. Uh, Michigan State was a good team. They had the big kid, Payne, who was their best player. But UConn – you know, Shabazz, Ryan Boatwright, DeAndre Daniels, Niels Gafai, they were just they, – they were playing with the most confidence in the world. Then they go to Florida, and they had beaten Florida. Shabazz had hit a, had, had hit a buzzer beater at Gamble uh, back, in, back in December to beat Florida, but Florida hadn't lost since then. And Florida got up in that game 16-2 to at, wow. uh, at Jerry's World. And then UConn just, just stormed back and beat them. And then they were the better team than Kentucky. It was a seventh seed and an eighth seed playing in the national championship game. And UConn got out to a big first-half lead on Kentucky. Uh, they came back to within two a couple times in the second half. But Napier hit a shot. Kafai hit a shot. And they were celebrating another improbable championship. This guy, uh, again, just a wealth of UConn stories and four title wins that he called. Uh, the players, and obviously Jim Calhoun and Kevin Ali coaching them, uh, deserve all of the credit for what they did on the floor. But this man was right there living it with them, in and out, uh, all their practices, all, all the regular seasons, all the, all the Big East tournaments, the AAC tournaments, the postseasons, and then to see uh, a national championship banner, not just once, but four times from them, 
Uh, it's amazing. And, I, and I'll joke with you, UConn really became de facto like Texas because now, I mean, if they're going to hold with a, with a win in San Antonio over Georgia Tech, a win over Butler in Houston, a win over Kentucky in Dallas, if they ever hold the Final Four like in El Paso, you mentioned Austin or Lubbock, I got UConn. No matter what, what they're yeah. seeing, I got UConn. That's probably a wise bet. Dan Hurley has done a, has done a great job, TJ, in his first two years of uh, bringing the program back. Um, it, it had fallen the last couple of years under under Kevin Ali. Uh, he was fired uh, with pause. Uh, his, it's it's an ugly lawsuit. Um, it's not helping anybody. Uh, it, it, it's still going on, and obviously, you know, it's been put on the back burner with with more important things going on. But um, yeah, three champion, three of the four championships in uh, in Texas, and one at the Taj Mahal of college basketball, well, Tropicana Field. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about that. Uh, oh, I was going to ask: Did you ever obtain, especially with the Texas two-step going back and forth to New Orleans in an airport uh, or two in Texas? Did you ever get boots? Did you ever get a cowboy hat? No. Did you ever get a two-pound no. belt buckle? Come on. None of that? None of that no. ever rubbed off on that. all those championships? No. Come on. Come on. I was a swab to bone in Northeast. <laughs> I guess not. That stuff wasn't for me. Come on. <laughs> you know me well enough. Oh, for Texas. All right, so one more bookend in the 2014 tournament. Um, I, I have been involved, and we didn't get to do it, obviously, in 2020. I have been involved in this contest. A friend of mine in Tampa has mutual friends uh, has friends of his in the Midwest, and he puts me in this tournament. And the simplest way to explain it is uh, you pick 10 teams, and how the 10 teams do progressively in the tournament gives you points. And then you pick nice. different tiebreakers. Different tiebreakers include uh, the final four, the final four winners, the leading scorer in the tournament, the final score of the championship game. You've got all these different tiebreakers, and a lot of times it will come down to one of the tiebreakers because there's so many people right. in the thing. It's got to, they, they are mathematically tied because they had the same teams, et cetera, et cetera, Joe, without getting into all the math. Um, yeah. Okay, so that year, 2014, uh, I had UConn, and I also had, I think, Wisconsin, who you okay. who you made mention of, or something like that. Or maybe I had Florida, when others did not. I was completely unaware, completely unaware, until the guy running this, for entertainment purposes only, uh, pool, sure. uh, contacted me and said, you do realize that if UConn beats Florida and if UConn defeats whomever in the championship game, you're going to win because you have the pathway with UConn that nobody else in this tournament, nobody wow. else in this tournament had UConn in their 10 teams. He's like, you're the biggest UConn fan of all time out of like over yeah. 200 people. And so, Joe, I don't know. I think I remember I saw you at that Final Four and kind of winked or whatever. Yeah. But I never, I never yeah. went over and rubbed a good luck charm or did anything. No. But when UConn, when you, when UConn jumped up and down and the streamers were coming up and down, TJ was smiling ear to ear with a thumbs up <laughs> and a victory <laughs> beverage and whatever else because I, I somehow, some way, bookend won again because of your UConn Huskies. Uh, because I took them so uh, uh, back at the just beginning. General basketball, just oh, general basketball which, knowledge. Which, as right? you know, usually serves you nothing. It's usually the yeah. secretary that has no idea 
that that's going on nicknames and colors that wins. Um, well, that's why when if you're a sports guy, yeah, if you're the sports guy at your radio station, you do not want to get into the company office pool <laughs> because if you do not win, you take more crap than uh, anybody on planet Earth. People, oh, what do you know? Right, you exactly. Know, somebody, you know, Nancy in the front office <laughs> who can't even spell basketball um, to, to pick more winners than you did. Uh, so you do not. You, you, one, one thing that I've learned, you do not want to get into your office pool if you are a play-by-play broadcaster, especially if you're a play-by-play broadcaster, because then they think for some reason you know even more. Well, th- th- this is something that I have lived by for a long time. Uh, I think it's a variation, and, and we both have fondness for Chris Berman uh, and his Hall of Fame broadcasting career, but he said this long ago. I remembered it. I, I think I have a version of it right. The more we watch, the less we know. The more the more yeah. we watch, uh, the dumber we are. With this, that's that's us. When we when we yeah. are grinding in January and February and watching everything and working these games and live play by, we think we know and we have our we have our thoughts and our players and our teams, and then we find out we don't know when they start this thing up. Know. So it's what makes it. Remember, great. NBC used to have the uh, campaign, the thing about education, right? And it was called the more you the know. more you know. Yeah, that's the opposite of us. <laughs> yes, the less we. What I do know, to play off the words, is that Joe D uh, has been gracious to be with me on the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast, telling stories about UConn's championships. Before I go, give me, do you have a funny Calhoun from any of those Final Fours when he loosened it up, something he did, a ritual, a superstition, anything? Uh, because he got three of them, obviously, in 99-04-2011. Anything good off of any of those well, from those memories? One. Here, here's a here, here's a good one. Here's the here's the best one I can tell you. Um, Jim has always been involved in philanthropic philanthropic efforts um, since he came came here. He has become a great ambassador uh, for the state. Uh, and as you know, Jim's language on the sideline could be a little salty, <laughs> to say the least. Which is in one regard is okay because with the Boston accent, you, you weren't always sure what he was saying. Right. But anyways, Jim got involved with a charity event called the Franciscan Life Dinner. And it had to do with the Franciscan sisters um, who run a facility in Meriden. And, and Jim, got, Jim got involved with them, and they, uh, and they, he, they, they love him. He's still involved with the dinner. I, I have a little something to do with it now. Um, but Jim's been involved with them for 30 years. And the first Final Four, he brought two of the good sisters to... Uh, St. Petersburg, and they were his. They were his good luck charm, and they they also showed up in '04 in 2011. So long before Sister Jean mm-hmm. from Loyola mm-hmm. became a national icon, the two sisters uh, from uh, the from the Franciscan Life Center uh, were Jim's, and and you know Jim Jim was always a good Catholic. And his fabulous wife Pat would go to church every Sunday, but for Jim. The guy who on the sidelines, you know, could make Tommy Hudson and Bob Knight <laughs> seem like they were on Xanax. Um, to have to have a good luck charm of these of these two nuns, that was pretty funny. I can't top that. 
You can't stop the Lord, DJ. I mm. learned that a long time ago. We got hey, hey, like Aykroyd and Belushi, you're a contemporary of mine. We're on a mission from Gad. Was the line yes, from the Blues exactly. Brothers? If you need it to be, exactly. Uh, you can't lose if that's the case. And I still remember being around uh, Sister Jean and that Loyola Chicago team in the 2017 Final Four run, or actually 2018 Final Four run that they had in right. San Antonio. I uh, need to be around all that and realize that's a 95 year old. A 95-year-old oh that was around all of it. Uh, she she was a big-time uh, donator of time. Well, we digress, but it's great. She was, a, in, especially in the current environment that we're in, this woman gave a life of service in her 40s, 50s, and 60s, which Joe D. was in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And Sister Jean is still around in the 2010s and is still around today now as a 96, 97-year-old. It's incredible that that's been tied to the magic of March and the Final Four. And and to see that team go over in the regional final after it's over, to kiss her, to give her a championship hat and hug and a piece of the net, that's, that's March, babe. That is March, and 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 a Kimball Walker, yes, a Kimball Walker team leading uh, five wins in five nights at the Garden to go to the NCAA tournament and win it all. That's what it is all about. So I love it. Anything in closing, uh, my friend? We've covered a bunch. Anything else? The floor is yours, Joe D'Ambrosio. No, it's just you know I, I I've, I've been very blessed between the time I did the men and the years I did the women. Uh, eight championship games. Uh, great athletes. Great coaches. Uh, appreciative fans. It, it was great. I mean, obviously, uh, things changed a couple of years ago when the rights shifted to another station, but I would not trade those 26 years for anybody else. And lots of titles and lots of memories, and great to share them with us. Thank you, my friend. Stay safe where you are. I keep saying to everybody, thank you that I have on. Thank you for the service you're doing to occupy the audience on other things besides uh, just the, the coronavirus. While serious, we need other distractions. We need other things, and you've provided a great one here with me, reminiscent about UConn and all their success. Even though the Providence people uh, turned us off long ago, probably the Syracuse yeah, people as well. That's, that's okay. Yep. The rest of you enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it. Joe D., thank you. All right, TJ, anytime for you, my friend. Stay safe, and uh, hopefully next year at this time, uh, we're, we're at a Final Four and we're talking uh, about basketball and not just memories. Thank you, my friend. And still to come on College Basketball Coast to Coast, Ari Russell will be here straight ahead. We'll reminisce about the 06 Final Four when Ari and I had to fear for our lives a little bit, seriously, in Indianapolis on the Final Four weekend with tornadoes in the area uh, while Florida and George Mason and UCLA and LSU were playing college basketball's championship. We'll tell that story. Ari's got other fond memories of recent Final Fours as well. That's coming up. Then Mark Wise will be here, ESPN and SEC Network analyst, former Florida Gator radio analyst, Longtime uh, broadcast colleague of mine on Sirius XM, Fox Sports Radio, and now TuneIn Radio. Look forward to talking with Mark. And then Matt Zimmick here from BadgerWire.com, still coming on the podcast as well. Uh, Matt will have insight on the Wisconsin win, the epic semifinal win five years ago this weekend over Kentucky when the Wildcats were 38-0. 
and Wisconsin stopped them from the championship game. We remind you, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Spreaker, however you found it. Social media link, wherever you found the show, subscribe. It always comes to you at College Basketball Coast to Coast. Follow us as well on Twitter at CBB Coast to Coast with the number two at CBB Coast, the number two coast. Uh, there on social media. Without further delay, more of our guests as we continue on without a Final Four in 2020, but the stories, the reminiscing, oh, it's heating up, it's good, there's great insight, there's humor. Here we go. One of the things that I am missing among many about Final Four weekend not happening 2020 is I'm not around Coach Ari. Ari Russell and I have been in and around each other and Final Fours for the better part of 15 years over and over again. We put up with each other. We've been roommates. We've been part of some great and fantastic championship weekends and championship games. So we don't have the games, but at least we have each other here to reminisce about some of this. And hopefully the audience will find some of this pretty entertaining. And I'm going to say up front that none of this is made up. None of this is exaggerated. We're just going to have fun with what actually happened. And you know where I'm going with this. Uh, how you feeling, <laughs> Coach Ari? I'm good. You know, I'm uh, in the middle of New York City right now, which is kind of, uh, you know, a weird movie sense. I feel like the next we're, we're, we're not quite at the Soylent Green level, but, you know, <laughs> we're, we're like a quarter of the way there. No, it's terrible. You're not. Uh, I know. Uh, I know <laughs> that we're having to keep our humor about this. But at this point, you're not Will Smith with the dog. And I am legend no, walking no, around no, abandoned New York bad. City. It's not quite there yet, but. No, I'm right now. Currently, I'm on the Upper East Side, like 85th and uh, Second, East 85th and Second uh, Avenue, and uh, there's still people out. And uh, right now, you know, since yesterday or the other day, uh, they 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 told us that we should be covering our faces. I see a lot more masks out, but not everyone has masks. Mm. Uh, but I I gave, like I made a makeshift one for for my girlfriend who's at a doctor's appointment now. Um, for her to go into that one, I just cut a shirt up and like here, just here. So she looks like <laughs> she's going to rob a bank. The Coach Ari Bandana fashion line yeah. will be out at some point later this summer. <laughs> I will I will need a social media photo of you in said torn-up T-shirt bandana mask at some point uh, there off of the social media at Ari Russell. Um, all right, so I got you here to talk Final Fours. I should make mention to the audience that we tell this story on and off the air all the time. But again, for the audience on college basketball, coast to coast, let's go back to 2006. I cannot believe 14 years ago now, you and I working previous uh, radio lives together at Sirius XM, doing the national shows, doing college basketball coast to coast for Sirius XM. I'm doing five day a week morning show. We were live at the Final Four. You were producing. You were hanging with me. We're roommates. That is Florida George Mason. That is UCLA and LSU. You were on with us last week about having been with that George Mason team uh, that made yeah. the historic upset run to play Florida. Uh, again, Florida ends up beating them, ending their magic, ends up beating UCLA and winning the title. What do you remember about that weekend? And then we're leading to the fun stuff. But what do you remember overall about being in Indy 06 Final Four? Go ahead. Well, just that, you know, at that Florida was already kind of just a buzzsaw at that point. And, you know, I, I was kind of still high on the George Mason, you know, uh, you know, upset and, you know, unpredictable pathway to get to Indianapolis. So I was like, yeah, George Mason. And then, you know, Mark Wise, who usually is the, you know, one of the best analysts and me trying to 
analyze basketball against him is, you know, like a, like a three-year-old playing chess against Bobby Fischer, me being the <laughs> three-year-old. Uh, you know, so it's, it, you know, and he was just like, no, man, because he, you know, obviously his four, you know, was the play by the uh, colored commentator for the Florida Radio Network, been around the team the whole year and witnessed them up close. And he was like, nah, man, no one's beating this team. <laughs> he was, he right, was trying, man. yeah, he was That's, trying to let us know what he had seen. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, and he's like, this team is just, it just overmatches. They're just too in sync. They, they're just too well coached, and they're just all on the same page. And the matchup problems between Noah and Horford, it was just like no one had an answer for that. Torian Green was just shooting the lights out. Lee Humphrey was just deadly from 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 long range and obviously uh Corey Brewer who, who really jumped out in that tournament was just uh just a, a Swiss army knife. Um, you know, it was one of those times it's just like wow, you know, and then you saw it in person and you're like, Wow, like yeah, yeah, Mark Mark saw what he and he really predicted it and he said that none of these games were gonna be close and he was right and I just remember how much of a how much uh how much how much UCLA got got was just the mop. And, um, and well, they uh, were good. The, uh, they were good in the semifinal against LSU, against Big Baby and Tyrus well, Thomas yeah. and those and, guys. And UCLA was good, but then washed. yeah, they got wiped out yeah. in the in the championship game. And we're going to try yeah. not to because Mark's a guest on this show too. We're going to try not to yeah, make I'm not Mark. Get further into yeah, it, we're not going to. Well, no, no, we're going to try not to make him sound any smarter than he already thinks he is with all of his analysis <laughs> about Florida <laughs> and that Final Four and what he got right. Yeah. And they went on to win back to back national titles. But yeah, the Gators were clearly the story and the bloodlines. I still remember this walking the streets of Indianapolis. Uh, after that semifinal win on the Sunday, and we'll get to Sunday night in a minute and what happened with bad weather, but we were walking, and here came Al Horford's family and and uh, Al's dad, Tito Horford, the former Miami Hurricane, the former NBA player, and he's immense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's large walking right at us. I don't know if you remember this story, but we kind of got out of the way of the Horford clan coming at us, and I'm like, yeah, that's Tito Horford. That's Al's dad. We can't emphasize enough the bloodlines. Tito Horford with Al Horford. Uh, Yannick Noah, the, t- the famed tennis player, termed multimillionaire musician and music producer, uh, was, was obviously uh, Joe Kim Noah's uh, father. Torian Green's dad, Sidney Green, who played in the NBA. Those bloodlines had a lot to do with those guys yeah. having, and not everything, but a lot to do with those guys having the success they had, right? Real quick. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and especially like in big stages and being prepared for it and having someone to talk to them about big stages, you know, I mean, all of them, you know, get it. And, uh, and just, it just telling, you know, it just helps, you know, seeing, seeing, seeing bright lights and big things wasn't, you know, something that none of those uh, three key players were, were, you know, that unfamiliar with. It wasn't like they were overwhelmed by, by the moment. And you could tell, especially, you know, Joe Kim Noah. I mean, Joe Kim Noah went in there and he was just like, he was, he was, he was just a trip, man. I mean, he was just a trip. He just was loose and just fun and just, you know, very, you know, always just himself. And he's always been like that, but he, he saw him in his, in college. He's just a goofy, you know, he liked to mess around and, you know, talk trash and was just highly confident, but also didn't really take himself that serious. And, you know, and then that that comes from you know being in the entertainment, you know, being around entertainers his whole life, 
you know, this that that really definitely helped because uh, you could tell that the other guys got tight in the moment and the Florida Gators were not. And so Florida went on to win the first of two national titles on the floor. But the Sunday night story, we have to retell this. You have to verify this. We've talked about it before at previous Final Fours, previous shows. But here it is for the 2020 version with no Final Four. So on the Sunday night in between the games, we're staying in downtown Indianapolis, not far from what was uh, the, the home of the Colts, the RCA Dome, the Hoosier Dome. Uh, which they eventually have now torn down. They've replaced it with the Lucas Oil Football Stadium, where they've had subsequent Final Fours now. But anyway, we're staying right there in the shadow of all of it. And that Sunday night, bad weather rolled in to Indianapolis, as will happen with springtime thunderstorms, and in this case, tornadic activity, tornadoes in in the uh, heartland of America and in the heartland of Indiana were headed our way. I remember John Mellencamp, Uh, A huge Indiana basketball fan was playing an outdoor free concert in downtown Indianapolis that was going to have, and I think did have, tens of thousands of people crammed into downtown Indianapolis. And they eventually warned everybody, hey, you got to go inside. The tornado sirens were going off. We got to cancel and shorten the concert. He played a few songs. They told everybody to leave. Meantime, you and I are in the hotel room. And as it turns out, by design, on that Sunday night, kind of in the middle of the Final Four weekend, HBO was debuting the latest season of The Sopranos, which my man Ari, favorite show maybe ever, or one of them, right? No, one of them. I'm not exaggerating. The Wire. Okay, but it's still a big. And I think The Wire even came after The Sopranos, right? So at this time, maybe maybe they were at the same time. I don't know. But in any event. You were just dead set that we we had to have this on in the room. We had HBO on in the room, and they're 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 wailing the sirens outside. There's an announcement in the hallway, PA, which is unusual. They're coming on the speakers to evacuate and go to the basement, and you won't leave the room for the surprise. I'm yeah. trying to drag you out of like the eighth floor to go down to the basement because Tony Soprano's debut is on. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I'm sorry. Priorities. Take, you know, I, I, and here's the thing. Like, it's not like they don't show replays, right? It, it's, I didn't care. I was in it to the show at that point. I think it was the season premiere. It was, like, yes, of that season. Yeah, correct. So, like, you know, I'm like, you hey, had man, been waiting easily nine months, right? And this is this is before the days, really, of the app and the on-demand and the online being that yeah. big a deal. Remember, this is 14 years ago. You were just set on, I've got to see the end of this. And I'm saying, I don't want this to be the end of us together in the in the yeah. hotel. we got to go get in the basement of this hotel. Well, I mean, and you know, like, and which is the, the strangest thing because I'm like scared out of my wits of tornadoes, but for some reason in that particular time, like I am, like tornadoes freak. I, I'm not freaked out by much, but tornadoes freak me out because they just come out of nowhere and cause so much da- damage. But I felt trust in the structure of which we were. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's like it's the courtyard by Marriott. It's not a high water table area. It's, you know. <laughs> There's other structures around. Nah, you know, we're kind of well, off the side of the road. You yeah. know, well, I, I like how you mentioned the sponsor. And by the way, the staff of the Courtyard Marriott was very uh, efficient, very caring. They were coming floor to floor. Yeah. Uh, get out of your rooms. We got to go downstairs. We all go downstairs in the basement. I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of us that were down there. I still remember the workers from the Friday's restaurant. There were UCLA fans. There were George Mason and Florida fans. I don't, I don't remember many LSU fans. We're all down in the basement hanging out, and we were down yeah. there. What a good 
I, as I recall, a good half hour and may, and maybe longer. Just yeah, it was about a half hour, forty five minutes. It wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. Right, and so you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, but like you know, I I got a good ten minutes. You know. See, it didn't hit. We were fine. I could have seen the whole episode. It yeah. never even came close. We to had to. Story. We had to end up watching uh, the rest you, of the. You have. Something. You have crazier tornado stories. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. Two years later, Wise and I are at the SEC tournament live on Sirius XM doing play-by-play of the Alabama-Mississippi State game, and the actual tornado brushed right over the Georgia Dome in downtown Atlanta. They had not had a tornado, Ari, in downtown Atlanta in a hundred years in 2008. Wise and I show up. We got tornadoes. Tornadoes seem to follow us. Uh, so yeah, we survived that one as well. Whenever we have postseason uh, thunderstorm and tornadic fun, it seems to follow Ari, Mark, and me. It's college basketball coast to coast. All right, so let's advance to four years ago, eight years later, 2016, Houston NRG Stadium. Uh, as thrilling a finish as you could ever imagine, a three-pointer at the buzzer for Villanova to beat North Carolina. Uh, iconic moment. Let's go right there. Take me back to that. What you remember, we were there together on press row in the end zone with Villanova coming at us as all of that happened. Uh, take take me back to what you remember because that's, again, iconic. I mean, I remember we're sitting there, and I'm actually – Carolina had taken the uh, the three, I believe, to either take the lead they or tie tied it. it. They remember. tied it, correct. Tie it, right, tie it. Right, um, and it was a pretty furious comeback by North Carolina because Villanova had a decent lead in the last few minutes of that game, and, and, and Carolina really chipped away and made a really strong comeback that didn't seem likely, but they, they did it um, and, and tied the score. And I remember, I'm like, all right, you know, Villanova with the ball, so what did I do? I picked up my phone, and <laughs> I'm recording it from, from my seat, you know, uh, final side. I'm like, hey, might as well. So all of a sudden, you know, the play goes in. Chris Jenkins hits that shot from, you know, what, barely like two feet. Like, I mean, it was like probably like three or four feet in front of the half court. I mean, it was a long shot. Yes. And it was a great play. It was a great play by, uh, what's his name, uh, the, the point guard. Archie uh, Diacono. Ryan Archie Diacono. Yep. Yeah, he was in the NBA now. You know, he's actually, you know, plays in the NBA. Gets pretty good minutes now, I think, in the NBA. Um but uh, and it was a great play. Apparently, not not drawn up by Jay Wright. It was a it was one of those plays where it was kind of like allowing Arch, uh, you know, allowing the player to 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 really feel it out. And that's why this team is so good. And you know, it was kind of like a high screen and getting they 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 allowed for Jenkins to get open. And he was, I think, he hit like five or six threes that game already. Uh, and he just hits that shot, but I'm holding the phone, and I see him hit the shot. I can't believe what I'm seeing. I drop the phone. I'm pressing, it's and cla- I'm it's classic Coach Ari. It's classic yeah. Coach Ari. Yeah. The biggest yeah, moment, cutting. you've got part of it, and then the phone hits the floor, and we see black screen with people screaming and Ari <laughs> screaming in vulgarity, and there's nothing <laughs> else there. It's the lost... It's the lost episode. Somebody was reposting because I think uh, the anniversary is either yesterday or today of that winning shot at the time that we're taping this of the Villanova 2016 win. And the shot of Charles Barkley, where fans were taping Charles Barkley on the Turner set, the CBS Turner set. He's watching. He's not even turned around watching the court. Kenny Smith is in the corner watching the, the court behind them. He's watching the monitor. And when the shot goes in, Barkley is just 
jumping up and down, and the whole set is shaking, uh, and yeah. the whole arena was shaking with that Villanova yeah. last-second win. Again, Chris Jenkins goes down with Lorenzo Charles on the dunk, NC State over five slam Jamma. Those are the two iconic moments of the last 40 years, buzzer beaters. Uh, in a national champion, and we were there, Absolutely. Ari. We were there. And, I mean, that was that's where that goes back to what we were saying last week: the privilege of being able to go to these events and to see an iconic moment like that. I mean, I mean, I remember being down on the floor right afterwards, and everyone is around there, like stunned and like, "Oh my gosh, it's amazing!" Even Jim Nance is like sitting there talking to people, anyone, and he was like, <laughs> "Wow, what did we just see?" You know, Jim Nance on CBS, like. Before he's even on the mic, you know, he's just sitting there talking to anyone. He's like looking at like, what did we just see? Like, yeah. that, you know, that's a special moment when like the guys that are that have to broadcast it have to say. But even after he had made the call, he's still in shock, you know, and they're not like the rest of us. It was just a, a wonderful moment, and you know, just uh, I mean, what a great game and an insane way for that game to end. But just kind of fitting for how how Villanova was and. Kind of, you know, uh, Villanova's really become kind of a dynasty in a way. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to see what was going to happen this year with them. But, uh, you know, Jay Wright really got over the hump. You know, remember, he, he was always uh, criticized. Uh, well, he, you know, he couldn't win the big right, one or everything right. like that. I think they made one Final Four with Scotty Reynolds. Um, you know, if I'm, was that him? Was correct. Was coach yes, coach correct. Coach yes. Right, yes. but then you know, like they're like, "Well, you didn't make it," and then all of a sudden, it's like Jay Wright is considered one of the more elite coaches, and I always thought he was. Um, but uh, you know, winning and winning in such an iconic fashion, you know, I followed that team that whole year, and and uh, you know, and then especially towards the end there, and it was, you know, it that's was, right. It, you you, know, almost, uh, you had been with them yeah. at the Big East tournament. You had been with them, I believe, yep. at the at the first and second round, if not the regional yep. final. And then we were there yeah. with them in the final four. The memories we have. Yeah. I know we got to go yeah. in a moment. You got to go yeah. as well. The only thing we have to hang on to is there will be college basketball again at some point. Uh, we at believe it'll, it. We believe it will all come back together for next season, and there'll be a final four next year, which for right now is scheduled for Indianapolis. I don't know when they ever give one back to Atlanta for the one that we missed. Yeah. I look forward to us being able to talk about games and making more memories at a Final Four at a later date, Ari Russell. This this was fun to reminisce, though, for right now. Final thoughts? Oh, man. No, absolutely. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's always, you know, that's all we can do is uh, look back. You know, right now we just, you know, everything needs to stay safe and stay inside and keep, you know, yourself safe and, you know, don't risk the lives of others and, be smart and you know the, the more we do that the more we can you know get things back to, to moving again and uh, get our sports back so we can you know stop watching reruns of Bonnie Miller which aren't bad <laughs> but I'll take it so. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, I love my man Ari Russell. He can he can now binge watch all the Sopranos episodes uh, if he wants. Uh, but that night, that's still that that story. Hey, that story's fourteen years old, and it's going to be good yeah. at twenty four years old because it actually happened oh, yeah. that way. And I wouldn't have wanted to be in a basement in Indianapolis on the Sunday night of Final Four weekend with anybody else other than Coach Ari, as it turns out. Great great to be with you. Stay safe in New York. Thank you for hanging out on a no Final Four edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast, the show and the podcast. Thank you, Ari. All right. Thank you. Rocking along here as part of college basketball, coast to coast. You know I have to go back to one of my faves, the former Purdue and South Florida assistant, my longtime analyst uh, with SiriusXM, Fox Sports Radio, and on TuneIn. He and I have been together in and around each other 
uh, for some uh, 15 Final Fours or right at it uh, on and off over the years. Mark Wise is back with me, uh, helping me get through. It is kind of like group therapy. No March, no Final Four. (laughs) Odd, different. Good to hear your voice once more here before we, we put all of this to bed. I wish that we were all together in person in Atlanta. It's never going to happen. It didn't. It didn't happen for 2020. But this is kind of the next best thing to reminisce with you. How you feeling? I'm feeling good, TJ. You know, it's interesting. The Final Four, in a lot of ways, is like summer camp because you and I get together. We get to see people that we haven't seen for much of the season or the year. Uh, we're interviewing coaches. We're going to practice sessions. Um, we're seeing media members that we haven't seen for the whole year. And so I kind of miss that. There's no question about that. Much rather be in Atlanta today. However, we have a higher calling. Yep. We got we to gotta be safe. And that's been a constant theme of all these shows that we're doing, that we will get through this on the other side, practice the social distancing, the isolation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, okay, so you have some unique insight and stories you coached in a final four as an assistant with purdue take me back to what that was like semi-final saturday that's the old market square arena in indianapolis right purdue and ucla what do you remember about coaching that day in a final four because you lived it well let me first of all say this you know um all of the sexiness that the Final Four has right now in this day and age and all of the pomp and circumstance, it wasn't like that in 1980. And then to boost, you know, uh, when you're at Purdue in West Lafayette, Indiana, and the Final Four is 60 miles away, uh, no, we did not get on a charter plane and <laughs> charter anywhere to get to the Final Four. We were on a bus. Um, and I remember getting off the bus at the hotel on whatever day it was, I think, uh, early Thursday. And I think that some cheerleaders, maybe a few band members were there and that was about it. And that certainly is a far cry from, from where it is now. I just remember on, um, uh, on game day, we tried to keep it as much as we could to a, um, a regular routine, and I don't think it was that difficult to do. Obviously, everybody knew what was at stake. Um, uh, I, I just remember we played uphill against UCLA all day long. We never could quite get ahead. I do remember with about a minute 20 to go in a game. Now, remember, this is 1980, so no shot clock. We finally get within one. And with about a minute 20 to go, we throw the ball into Joe Barry Carroll, who would go on to be the number one pick in the NBA draft on the right block so he could do his little baby hook over his left shoulder, which was his very favorite shot, which was almost automatic anytime we got the ball down there. And we throw it into him, and he shoots that jump hook, and he doesn't make it. We have to start fouling. We end up losing by five. Um, and so it was, uh, you know uh, – as a young 23, 24-year-old, and I've told you this, at the time we were the – Jeff Meyer and I, who's now on the staff at Butler, we were the two guys that were the student assistants, the grad assistants, the director of player development, the director of video, the director of operations. Well, they've got about 10 guys now. Well, that was Jeff Meyer and I in, in, in that day and age. And uh, I don't think we – you know, we didn't understand – uh, at that young age, what a an accomplishment 
it was to get to the Final Four. Purdue hasn't done it since the Rick Mount days, and they have not done it since. How about that? But uh, you were there. You were there for that memory. I love leaning on you for all these stories that you've told throughout the years uh, when we've been at these different Final Fours. So I know in a lot of cases what's coming. I'm just serving it up for the audience here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. So you were there as as an assistant coach with a ticket in the stands, the pit in Albuquerque. First, before right. we get to the championship game and the dramatic finish with Valvano running all over the floor trying to hug everybody, including Mark Wise, at the end of it, uh, take me back to semifinal Saturday and Houston-Louisville. Right. I love going back and just watching that 10 to 15-minute segment of them dunking like an NBA All-Star game, even though it was college kids. Take me back to that, please, and what and what you remember in person. Well, here's what I remember. Uh, back in those days, scalping in New Mexico was legal. Mm. And that game being played in Albuquer- Albuquerque, everybody wanted to see the Houston-Louisville game, and the tickets were going for an astronomical. I mean, people were selling tickets right outside the pit for, and money was changing hands. You didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, security or cops or any of that. It was just ridiculous. So you, you go inside, you watch the game, and you, you know, you're not really sure you're believing what you're seeing and in terms of the dunks and the athleticism, playing above the rim. I mean, both teams. It was just ridiculous. It was unbelievable. Then come Monday night, you couldn't give two tickets away. Really? Nobody, nobody thought NC State had a chance. Tickets were for sale. You would walk around. You could see people with, I got two, I got four, and nobody, nobody was buying tickets. That is incredible to contemplate. Do you believe that that was just because the Louisville fans were so rabid and departed? NC State didn't have enough people there. There weren't enough locals in Albuquerque that that cared, some combination. What's your theory on why that was? Well, I think there's two things. One is the Louisville fans left, no question about that. But two, nobody gave um, NC State a chance. Remember, they had beaten Georgia in the what we call the other semifinal that year. <laughs> Uh, and nobody, I mean nobody, coaches including sitting there, myself sitting there, thought NC State had any kind of chance. So as that game played out in the final minute, you know, final two or three minutes, at at what point, because I asked Joe D'Ambrosio about this when, when uh, UConn was on their 2011 run, five games and five right. nights in the Big East tournament, at what point did you really allow yourself to start contemplating we can win the Big East tournament? And he said when Kemba Walker hit the shot against Pittsburgh to win the game at the buzzer, I really thought right after that we're going to win the tournament. So was right. there a moment in the pit? Five minutes left, three minutes left, where you start to go, NC State can or maybe will win this game? I, at halftime. And, and the reason I say at halftime, because they had completely controlled the tempo of the game. Remember, the final score was, I don't know, 53-52, right. 54-53, something like that. But, but because Houston was um, frustrated, because Drexler was in some foul difficulties, because the tempo had been slowed, I thought NC State had a chance. Now, if you're asking me with two minutes to go, did I still think they were going to win the answer to that? No. You just kind of felt like somebody for Houston would make a play and they would win. And they obviously but did not. I will tell you this. Yeah. I will tell you this. 
that was only a, a harbinger because two years later, I was also in Rupp Arena for Villanova Georgetown. Yeah, incredible two memories in that perfect game, and that anniversary was just a couple of days ago, 35 years ago, of what Villanova did. Uh, recall for me, because I don't remember the answer, Were you? I believe you told me you were in the end zone. Were you in the end zone where Lorenzo Charles caught the ball? Were you at the other end? Where were you in the stands when that happened, when that famous play happened in the pit? Yeah, I was in the corner uh, end zone sideline, so think of it in those terms. I was in the corner of the end of the floor where NC State had the ball. And really, it happened so fast, and I'm not talking about the last possession. I'm not talking about the fourth shot by Wittenberg. The dunk by Charles happened so fast, all of a sudden you're looking at each other. Well, when did it happen? Let's look. Remember, the clock didn't stop back then. So by the time you looked up at the clock, it was like going to zero. And so, you know, everybody, did he get it off? Did he get, was it good? Was it good? And so <laughs> there, was, there was so much um, of an unbelievable moment. Uh, and, and then, of course, everybody remembers Valvano running around and looking for somebody to hug. And, and um, I, I promise you, ever how many coaches were in the pit that night, they would have gladly given him a hug. No doubt. Uh, no doubt about that. Love it. Reminiscing with Mark Wise. He's at MW Hoops. I love his insight. The coach always giving great things on social media about his memories and the things about the current state of the game, et cetera, even in the off season with his Friday Five and his lookbacks to the weekend uh, when the season's going on at MW Hoops. Uh, okay, so part of your duties, in addition to doing a bunch of national stuff and Mark now prominently with ESPN and uh, the SEC Network working games, you've worked Florida Gators radio for a long time with Mick Hubert, the longtime voice of the Gators. And the last team is the last team to do it, to go back-to-back. Um, iconically, in the 2000s, the Florida Gators of 06 and 07. When you think back to those back-to-back championships, what still sticks with you some 15 years later? Well, uh, the difference in the two runs, and uh, the first time in the 06 uh, run, the the one that they won in Indianapolis, um, you know, along the way in Minneapolis, they beat Villanova, the number one seed in that region. It was just kind of a, uh, once you got to the Final Four, hey, they they just might be able to do this thing because they had kind of limped to the finish line late in the season. Florida's back end of their SEC schedule has always included Kentucky twice. So for a long time, Florida kind of limps into some tournaments because of the losses that add up there. Um, and, and you, you know, nobody thought they were going to win it. I mean, it, it was just kind of a magical three-week run. However, the moment that that came in, that and all those players decided to come back, that 4 group, and you're talking about Horford and Noah and Brewer, uh, Torian Green and Lee Humphrey was not an 04, but he he was coming back as well. Decided to come back, it was a completely different deal. It was not as much fun. It was work. It was Billy Donovan keeping those guys on track. It's the closest I have ever come to being involved with paparazzi. And I don't care if you're playing in Starkville, Mississippi against Mississippi State or Florida played early in the year at the Garden. Um, it was just a zoo everywhere the team went. And so for Billy Diamond to kind of that group uh, on track to avoid the, the, the minefield, the distractions, and, 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 and that team also limped into the NCAA tournament. I think they lost 
three of their last four in the regular season. But once they got to the tournament, man, it was it was uh, it was uh, all engines on go, and they played like it. Uh, no doubt. Love the insight here of Mark Wise. Uh, from having been right there for those final fours and for those moments. I, I was joking with Ari Russell just before you came on. We, we tell the story of the 06 one in Indianapolis because there was a tornado on in downtown Indianapolis on the Sunday night in between. You were actually out in the burbs with the Gator basketball team at a different hotel and didn't have the same effect that we had. Little did, little did I know that the tornadoes would follow you and me to the Georgia Dome a couple of years <laughs> later in the SEC tournament. We, we have nothing but mayhem, whether and otherwise, whenever we're around in the basketball postseason in March. So I'm missing out kind of on that. I will tell you this one story as a reminder. In the 06 finals, and I think people might find this humorous, in the 06 finals in Indianapolis, I had two brother-in-laws who wanted to come to the championship game, and they brought a friend. So I I got them the three tickets, and I said, hey, after the game, win or lose, we'll meet back at the hotel There'll be security. I'll have to get you guys uh, through the lobby and up to our hotel room because it's, it's just going to be a zoo. We got to the other side of the lobby where the elevators were. I turned around and looked, and my two brother-in-laws and their friend were working the room. They were working the ropes. They all had gator gear on of one sort of another. They're high-fiving. These people have no idea that these three guys – have nothing to do with Florida basketball. <laughs> but they're living the moment. They're living the championship. They're living the moment. I, I love stories uh, like this and in and around this. All right, so we fast forward. It's now the fifth anniversary, Mark-wise, of the, of the right. last team. Uh, you know, earlier this year, we were wondering, could San Diego State get to the NCAA tournament undefeated? They got right to the end of the Mountain West regular season, took a loss, and then obviously took a loss in the Mountain West championship game to Utah State. They had gotten to 26-0. and Kentucky got to the NCAA tournament, having won the SEC championship at 34-0, and and then won their four games as the top seed uh, in their region to get to 38-0. and we go back to Indianapolis again in 2015 and a revenge game for Wisconsin. Just say something because you covered that Kentucky team during the SEC season, uh, working against, uh, you know, working the Gators against Kentucky right. on the radio, but you covered them on TV, I think, a couple of times too. That, that one was an iconic. I don't know that we'll see anybody get to 38-0 again. We keep saying that. It took forever for a team to get to that after UNLV had gotten to the semifinal Saturday in 91 right. undefeated. It's not easy to do. Reflect on five years ago in Kentucky and the run and Wisconsin able to end that run, but what about it? Well, TJ, you know I like teams who can beat you in a multitude of ways, and that was one of the beauties of that Kentucky team. They could beat you in the half court. They could beat you pressing. Uh, they could score on you. They could defend you. They they had rim protection. So there were a lot of things to like. I agree with you. I, I don't know that we're going to see another, uh, or at least I don't think we're going to see another major conference team uh, run the table. I say that because of the transfer portal, uh, the way the talent is spread out around the country. As a matter of fact, I would even argue, now think about this, the San Diego State run this year is is, is cognizant of that because uh, Malachi Flynn, their outstanding point guard, transferred. Uh, Double-figure four-man Yanni Wetzel, transfer. So I think if we're going to see an undefeated team get back to the Final Four, I think it might be somebody 
outside the power conference. Interesting. And, uh, again, we can't convey enough that night in Lucas Oil Stadium that uh, Kentucky, it was almost like it was going to be a coronation. I keep telling this part of of the story that uh, they had the whole stadium. They had fifty, right. probably 50,000 fans there out of the 70,000 or more with the way they traveled. And then uh, for them to not win it, I, I still I still remember the Kentucky students were right in front of us, right on, on the press row in the end zone of Lucas Oil Stadium. And they're filing out in silence, in tears. There's Kentucky fans, big donors, whatever, all around yep. us that are filing out silently. It was just something. It's it's what this tournament is all about. There are no givens. There are no assurities, even if you're three, 38 and 0 and presumed to be the coronated champion. TJ, one of my lasting memories of that game, Wisconsin travels really well. I mean, really, really well. And their fan base was dwarfed that night in Lucas Oil by the Big Blue Nation. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. We've had uh, so much fun talking about different Final Fours and memories here uh, with Mark Wise. Love the insight. Again, follow him at MW Hoops. Anything in conclusion here? We haven't had a tournament this year. We'll never know how it would have played right. out in Atlanta. I was I was looking forward to seeing what might happen, but... Uh, any thoughts from you here? Truly odd, uh, historical, un- uncharted waters, uh, you know, exploration right. of outer space, whatever you want to call it. We've not done this before. In 70-plus in years of having the NCAA tournament, uh, we've not had this before. So anything else you want to say here as we've done without and done the best we could without? I have two thoughts for you. One is a lot of people thought Kansas um, – maybe was the best team entering the, the tournament and had a good chance uh, to um, win the tournament. And I guess we'll now, never know if there was going to be an awkward moment on the uh, podium after the game if Kansas had won where Mark Emmert is handing the trophy to Bill Self in Kansas. So that's one thing. And then the second one is, and this is what I want to leave you with, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a little quiz. I'm going to give you a little Final Four quiz. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Since 1985, there have only been four players that have scored tw- 20 or more points in each of the six games that they played in in a single season. So that tells you right away that they had to have either play their team either won the title or they were runner-up. Only four players have scored 20 or more points in each of their six games, I'm even going to help out. I'll, well, first of all, who comes to mind, and then I'm okay. Give you so you're the saying since you're saying since '85, correct as the qualifier since, for the since '85. Right, so Glenn Rice is obviously Glenn, Glenn Rice of Michigan is obviously one of them. I still contend you and I debate this greatest shooting performance ever in an NCAA tournament for those six games. So Glenn Rice very, very is very good. Is one of them. So I, I score. Is indeed one. I score that one. I do know because I keep reminiscing about Derek Rose and Memphis and my heartbreak. And you were with me in the Alamo Dome 08 for the Kansas win. Speaking of self in Kansas, I believe Rose had 20 or more in every one of those games. Would I be correct for number two? You are now one for two. Ah, Derek Rose didn't have 20 <laughs> in all six. All right. He had 20 in several of them, but not in 06. Uh, I got Christian Leitner, maybe the 92 final four run back to back. Did he have 20 in all six? Is that a second one for me? 
You are now one for three. Wow, this becomes harder and harder. All right, <laughs> reveal for me the other three names. All right, I'm going to give you the school, and you give me the player. So the first school is Kansas. Wow, it's so Danny Manning, 88. 20 or more in every game. That's correct. All right, I left that one off out of the memory bank from 30 years ago. Forgive me, I'm getting old. Continue. Can I just tell you that was the easy one? (laughs) All right, that that might have been. Okay, go ahead. UConn. Is that Shabazz Napier 2014 and not Kimball Walker? Neither one. Ooh, Khalid Alamine. Richard Hamilton. Richard Hamilton. Rip Hamilton, who Joe D'Ambrosio was talking about before you came on on the podcast, being part of that first 99 win in our state, in the Sunshine State at Tropicana Field uh, there for the uh, for the UConn Huskies over Duke. And the last one? Is a Duke Blue Devil. But it's not Leitner? It is not. <sighs> I'm, I'm having to think it can't be it can't be Hurley in the same era. How about in the modern era? Was it like a Jaleel local four in the year that they won it in 2015? Did he have 20 in all six games? Kent number two. He's a current head coach. He's I, a current head coach in the state of Florida. Uh, I'm thinking about my Dukies and who that might be. How about Johnny Dawkins, 86 then? That is correct. So wait, 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 wait. Dawkins, 86, Manning, 88, Glenn Rice, 89, and then only one other one since then in all six games? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, it tells you, it tells you A, how hard it is to play in six games, and then B, to be that good in terms of scoring in all six. Uh, wow. wow. That's a great trivia question. I love that. Working on that. Uh, to end up here for the final four. Uh, anything else? You, you did well with the quiz. Anything else for the fans that are out there? We, we, uh, we again, had all of it come to a screeching halt and had to do without Mark, right. so it's unusual. Any other final words? No, it's just that I, I hope whoever may be listening, uh, again, we're imploring everybody uh, to take it serious, to do the social distancing, uh, to protect yourself, to stay safe, Stay safe not only for yourself, but your loved ones, the people around you. Yeah, that's, uh, that is true, and that is what we're doing all of this for because, again, uh, the, the belief is that, that the tough time that we're going through right now is temporary and short-term, and things will be much better as April turns to May and May turns to June. Let's make it happen. Let's do that. You know, I always close these interviews at the Final Four with you with the same phrase, and you know what's coming. Did you have fun? I don't have that phrase this year because we didn't go and do it. We didn't get to have fun. It's it's a date for uh, 12 months from now, for 52 weeks from now, wherever they play the Final Four. We believe it's still going to be in Indianapolis to to be announced officially. Uh, But uh, we'll save that for 52 weeks from now, right, for another March Madness and another Final Four. Absolutely, I love to the There is Mark Wise. Uh, we thank you, Coach. Great stuff as college basketball coast-to-coast rolls on. Yes, indeed, we have truly saved the best for last. I always love the insight of a guy that has great historical perspective on college basketball in the Final Four. We've been doing a lot of this recently, Matt Zimmick, where we're reminiscing with each other, big moments, 
Uh, we don't have the games now, but we have our memories. We have YouTube. We can go back and look online. And, of course, CBS and CBS Sports Network replaying a lot of these games uh, as well. Good to have you back on College Basketball Coast to Coast here. Publicly, again, thank you for having me on your podcast, on your Patreon podcast, where I, I talked incessantly uh, over and over again about my Memphis State slash Memphis Tigers uh, and the and the history in and around the Final Four and the great Memphis players. Uh, so thank you publicly for uh, letting me uh, just pontificate and talk on that. I've got you back here, and I'll let you talk a little more about what you want to talk about, about special Final Fours and Final Four weekends, etc. How are things? How are you making it as we now flip the calendar to April? And we know we have no Final Four, but we're trying to get through all of it. How are things? You know, just, just being safe and healthy, that's the main thing. I mean, it's you know, a, a pandemic has a way of really resetting your priorities. So There is no doubt about that, and we're all doing the right thing, or most of us should be doing the right thing. Stay home, isolate, social distancing. We will get through this. Give it some more time here, and things will be much better on the other side. That is the goal. Um, and I know Matt, Matt is saying that and echoing that as well. All right, so we spent some time with Mark Wise uh, in the segment just before you talking about that 2015 Final Four Indianapolis. Uh, again, I remember it like it happened an hour ago uh, with Wisconsin upsetting Kentucky. He was more at it from the Kentucky standpoint of having been 38-0. Matt, in one of your duties, you oversee the USA Today uh, Badger Wire site, Badger Wire dot uh, com and the and the USA Today family of uh, websites. So from the Wisconsin standpoint, the magnitude of them beating, uh, not unlike Duke in Indianapolis in 01, beating that in that case the defending champion and unbeaten UNLV. But when you beat a team uh, that's unbeaten at 38 and 0, that everybody had e-ticketed for the championship game, if not the title. What what about that from a Badger point of view and historical perspective? Well, you know, I wrote I wrote a story on March 31st. Uh, titled, you know, Wisconsin, Kentucky, and Duke five years later. And I raised the question for my Wisconsin audience, TJ, you know, which game lingers more for you? The, the, the Wisconsin win over Kentucky in the national semifinals or losing to Duke in the national title game two nights later? Because you went from the ultimate win to the ultimate loss. The, the, a, a historic achievement, knocking off a 38-0 team, and then losing the national title game in which you led by nine points midway through the second half against frickin' Duke. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it was an epic conquest and then, uh, and then an ultimate heartbreak. And, you know, so which, which game do you value more as mm. a Wisconsin fan, the defeat or the victory which preceded it? It's re- really one of the, a fascinating question for any Wisconsin fan to wrestle with and you know just if you know for anybody listening out there if you're a if you're a Memphis fan if you're an Arizona fan if you are a UCLA fan if you're a Kansas fan imagine being in that same kind of position the ultimate win on Saturday and then the ultimate loss on Monday really really hard to uh say that there's a definitive answer there it's all based on your own personal experience how you process the moment but that's really the Larger takeaway from Wisconsin's 2015 Final Four. You know, an, an amazing moment and then a heartbreaking moment on that on that same weekend in Indianapolis. I'll tell you one of the things that I remember is not only the sea of Kentucky blue, not not Duke blue, but Kentucky blue 
that filed out. And we were making this prediction that weekend with the proximity of Madison and the and the great state of Wisconsin to Indianapolis and being in Big Ten country and having more than 36 hours to get there and get to the game and, and get revved up on a car ride even that afternoon you could get there uh, in time for the game uh, for Monday night. It was a sea of red. And when you go back and watch, and CBS Sports Network was replaying the Duke-Wisconsin uh, championship game the other night, TV doesn't do it justice. They would show some panoramic you know, shots from court level and stuff. The amount of red, Matt, in that or uh, that Lucas Oil Stadium that night for the title game with Duke, it, it was clearly 40,000 Wisconsin fans. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, they had 77, 75, 77 th- announced, whatever. It, it was clearly more than half clad in red Wisconsin fans. Uh, so it, it's a great memory of that weekend, except you didn't get the win, which is what your point uh, on the Monday night still I mean, if you're not going to ever win one, and Wisconsin doesn't have one, if you're not ever going to win one, to have beaten an, a Goliath Blue Blood program at 38-0 and in a Final Four game on revenge from them having beaten you in the Final Four on a last-second shot the year before, that's some kind of memory, short of a championship memory. And I think I hear a little bit of that in what you're saying. Yeah, the revenge factor also made that particularly sweet. Uh, also, the fact that you know Wisconsin allowed one made field goal to Kentucky in the last six and a half minutes mm-hmm. of that game, and remember, so Kentucky had Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker, and Wisconsin allowed one made basket the final six and a half minutes. So it should be said, Wisconsin did win a national title, but of course that was back in the Paleozoic era, 1941 a 39-34 win over Washington State <laughs> Forgive in the me. National Championship Forgive game. Forgive me, yes. How could so we have forgotten that? Do they have film of that? Is it like grainy black and white with all the uh, one-foot <laughs> set shots? Do we have that? Do we have video? Will it be up on BadgerWire? See, I, I, don't, I couldn't find YouTube footage for that. So technically, Wisconsin has a turn, an NCAA tournament title, but you know, it, 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 it was from the time when you know, the NIT was a bigger deal in, into and through the early 1950s, you know, there was no cultural weight associated with winning the NCAA tournament back then. So at least Wisconsin has one, but like uh, this was, you know, obviously a totally different stage when, when the NCAA tournament and the Final Four do have cultural weight. And so it was, it was, you know, getting the revenge over Kentucky was sweet, but then not being able to follow up against the other blue blood Duke, uh, ju- just a heartbreaker. And, you know, that was the launching point. People might forget. Grayson Allen became college, college basketball's ultimate villain. He really hadn't become that villain, villainous figure in his freshman season, but he was the guy who, along with Tyus Jones, led the Duke rally down the stretch in that national championship game. So the fact that Wisconsin, you know, lost to Grayson Allen, uh, just one of those things that grates on you. Um, so it just... It was just a total 180 from the Kentucky win, that every little detail about the Kentucky win was extra sweet, extra special, and every little detail about the Duke loss was extra painful. Like the Tyus Jones angle, for instance, Tyus Jones grew up in Minnesota. So for Wisconsin to lose to a Minnesotan, <laughs> to have a Minnesota boy drive these daggers into your stomach down the stretch, that's extra irritating. So it was just an ultimate 180 from the Saturday to the Monday night. 
man, he's twisting the knife a little bit on on whiskey here uh, and their fan base. But yeah, there are final four memories and Frank the Tank, Frank Kaminsky, and that and that group are to be committed. All right, so I give you the opportunity. Uh, whatever you like about Final Four history, national championship game history, where do you want to go since we don't have a 2020 Final Four? Where does Matt Zimmick want to go? Uh, there, there, there are a couple Final Fours that I want to point out. Um, one of them was 1967, and and that's, that Final Four was significant because that was North Carolina getting back to the Final Four uh, after a long period away, you know, one of the great Final Fours was 1957 when North Carolina and Clyde Lavellette beat um, Wilt Chamberlain yep. in Kansas in a multi-overtime triple game. Triple OT, triple OT. Yeah, yeah. And so that was that was North Carolina under Frank McGuire, who developed you know a New York to the Carolinas pipeline. But then 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 uh, Frank McGuire went to South Carolina. And uh, a guy named Dean Smith succeeded Frank McGuire at North Carolina and, and had a terrible first few seasons. He was hung in effigy uh, and, you know, needed some patience from the administration to, to get everything going. So 1967 is when Dean Smith made his first Final Four at North Carolina, and that truly ushered in the long-term North Carolina dynasty, uh, you know, which, which continues today. So that 67 Final Four has significance for that reason. And then another Final Four in which North Carolina was part of uh, has historical significance on a couple of levels. Go back to the 1974 ACC Tournament Final, North Carolina State 103, Maryland 100, one of the greatest college basketball games ever played. And the Maryland team that lost did not get in because only conference champions were allowed in. That game is what enabled is what led the NCAA to expand the NCAA tournament to 32 in 1975. You know, you had a few at-large bids, and that led the gradual escalation. You know, 40 in 1979, 48 in uh, 1983, 53 in 1984, and then of course 64, giving us the full bracket that enabled America to fall in love with the NCAA tournament. So. That 1974 ACC tournament led to the more expanded field. And so in 1981, in Philadelphia, you had Virginia and North Carolina playing in a national semifinal. That was the first time that two ACC teams uh, met in a Final Four after the expansion of the NCAA field uh, in 1975. So that was a really important turning point in terms of showing how conferences could uh, represent themselves on a larger scale in the NCAA tournament. We then had a few years after that, that 81 final four with two ACC teams meeting in a semi four years later, we had three big East teams and your Memphis Tigers going to Lexington. So in terms of how we perceive conference strength and conference representation in the final four, and the NCAA tournament, that 1981 Final Four was an important growth point because it, it just showed, it, it offered an example of, you know, two, two teams from the same conference being able to play each other. That was part of the product of the expanded NCAA tournament, which would not have occurred if we didn't have that NC State-Maryland game in 1974. Love talking historical perspective of the college game with Matt Zimmick. Follow him at Matt Zimmick, Z-E-M-E-K, 
on Twitter, on social media. He's affiliated with the USA Today Badger Wire website. So we talked a little Wisconsin Badgers. Does a great job contributing to this podcast. Uh, love his insight on his own podcast, his Patreon podcast. You can find it on Patreon. It is the Free Throw Awareness Podcast. And again, he let me go on and on and pontificate about Memphis and Final Four memories from Bill Walton making 21 of 22 in a title game at the Checker Dome in St. Louis for UCLA against my Memphis State Tigers with Larry Finch. Uh, Through that 85 Final Four, which was an ugly semifinal loss to Villanova, but even the 08 Final Four, uh, at the time we're taping... Mr. Zimmick, I watched the 08 Final Four semifinal game with my father on social media. We watched it together last night, reminiscing about uh, Memphis defeating UCLA in the semifinal Saturday, only to lose to Kansas two nights later. But we, we talk more about the positive of the win over UCLA. So uh, in some ways, a little bit of revenge for what had happened before with UCLA and Walton winning in a championship game. Uh, and even UCLA beating Memphis in an Elite Eight two years earlier. Uh, but a lot of the players that played in the 08 game didn't play in the 06 game either. The, the coaches were the same, Ben Hallett and John Calipari. But anyway, it was fun to, fun to reminisce. Hey, one more for you. The 1980s, I don't want to speak for you, but the 1980s and all the dramatics that you were laying out, Villanova with the perfect game, the 35th anniversary of the perfect game was earlier this week at the time we're taping of the 1985 Villanova win excuse me, over Georgetown, but you had last second, uh, you know, Lorenzo Charles dunk that we were talking with Mark Wise about uh, for NC State over Houston. You had Keith Smart, final seconds, his shot in the Superdome, Michael Jordan backing up to 1982, final seconds in the Superdome, Uh, a great overtime Michigan-Seton Hall game. The 80s really propelled the NCAA tournament into the full-time uh, round the clock, whole month of March, consuming the sports world. Now, uh, now in the present, online, on your phone, everywhere. It was the 1980s that did this. There's no disputing that, right? None, none whatsoever. There was only of the ten cha- national championship games played in the 1980s. Only one was decided by double figures. That was Indiana over Carolina in '81, and I think only two were decided by more than six points, the other one being Georgetown over Houston in 1984. And, of course, that was Patrick Ewing against Akeem Olajuwon. I mean, that was a, that oh, was a God, highly yes. compelling game. Yep. And, yet, and yet that was the ninth best national championship game in the 1980s. Virtually every other game was either an overtime game or down, down to the wire thrower. No doubt about that. I think within the 1980s, you know, the 1979 Final Four, in many ways, oh, Lord, catapulted yes. college basketball to a whole nother level of media visibility. If you were to pick one Final Four from the 80s, which, you know, cat- continued that upward movement, it would be 1982. Because, not, and it's not because Michael Jordan hit the winning shot. That's something we remember in retrospect. That's kind of why, you know, ESPN voters saying Michael Jordan was the greatest college player ever. You know, what a joke. It was obviously Kareem and then Christian Leitner and Bill Walton. Those are the top three in any conversation. But anyway, kind of, that's kind of a tangent. Right. The, the larger point about the 1982 Final Four, why it's so significant, was it marked the true arrival of dome basketball at the Final Four. You know, Houston had the Astrodome in 1971, but you didn't have another dome Final Four for 11 more years. And the, and the Astrodome crowd in the 1971 Final Four was roughly 
just over 30,000. It wasn't the full setup you had for that UCLA-Houston regular season game in 1968, which was about 52,700. You had the full Big Dome basketball experience finally arrive at the Final Four in 82, 61,612, and you had Georgetown and and, uh, North Carolina playing that epic title game. That was also CBS's first NCAA tournament. You combine all those forces aligning together in 1982, that really made the Final Four a big stage event. The 79 Final Four created the popularity, and and that led to the 82 Final Four being able to go to a dome and become a commercial smash, and college basketball just continued to take off from there. Hey, speaking of domes, and I know uh, we got to wind it down here shortly, I I want you to tell the story because uh, in the King Dome, the now torn down King Dome in Seattle, a younger, uh, wide-eyed Matt Zimmick was there uh, for for a phenomenal uh, occurrence that happened not in a Final Four game, but the day before. Tell me what you remember about Big Country and a backboard. Yeah, so the 95 Final Four in Seattle was Oklahoma State and UCLA in the first semifinal and North Carolina and Arkansas in the second one. So Big Country, Bryant Reeves of Oklahoma State, he was part of Final Four practice day. So I was there in the Kingdom for practice day. And here's the, here's the more specific story. So he did shatter the backboard in practice. But my, my specific involvement with that was I was looking around at the, at the, the, the Kingdom. I had my back turned to the floor <laughs> at the precise moment when the backboard was shattered. I heard this massive roar from the crowd. And it was, you know... So for practice day, it was the, the, the building wasn't packed, but you had about 15,000 people there. So a, a significant crowd, you know, for like a Sonics weeknight game, yeah, that would have been a decent crowd. So this huge roar, and I have my back turned at, at the very moment it happened. But So in many ways, I'm not going to forget it because I, I'll always remember the roar, and that was my Final Four on-site experience. There's nothing like being a keen on-site reporter, as Matt Zimmick has been throughout his career for all those big moments that uh, you have. At the key second, you have your back turned, and it's a it's a memory of hearing uh, shattered glass going every which uh, direction. I love that, though. The things that we remember, uh, and, and in fact, uh, UCLA winning in that uh, in that setting there in 1995, that's the last time UCLA has won one. They've been in one. I was talking about UCLA and Walton earlier. They were in three in a row earlier in the 2000s in 06, 07, 08. Haven't been back since, haven't won it since. And UCLA so dominated this NCAA tournament and Final Four weekend for so many years and for basically about a 15-year run. It is incredible that we're talking about a generation of college graduates who haven't seen UCLA win the whole thing. Matt Zimmick, real quick. Absolutely. And, and you know, the CBS showed the Arizona-Kentucky 1997 final uh, a, a week ago. That, that 23 years ago, was the last time the Pac-12 uh. won the national championship. So so the, the, the West has certainly gone through a huge dry spell and it's 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 amazing to to look back and and see you know arizona hasn't even been to the final four since 2001 in minneapolis so these are some amazing droughts out here in the west uh we need that rainfall and we we certainly also need some final four teams 
Love his insight. Uh, again, Matt Zemick uh, from BadgerWire.com, the USA Today website. Reading more there. He's been a great contributor on college basketball coast to coast. Matt Zemick, M-A-T-T-Z-E-M-E-K on Twitter. Follow him. You've also done a great service, and I know you're going to do it this weekend, where you're putting great Final Four clips from YouTube, full-length games, etc. Whenever they happen, you're popping those up all through the weekend, too. So you're a great follow for that reason. If we don't have the 2020 Final Four and National Championship game, we gotta we got to amuse ourselves with what's going on, and you've done a great job with that. So another another tip of the cap to you for that, sir. I'll definitely be linking to YouTube videos on Saturday. You bet. Uh, love this. Love this stuff with the championship games. Matt, thank you. We appreciate it. And uh, we thank you for being with us, all of our guests, all the way back at the beginning, Joe D'Ambrosio, the UConn uh, play-by-play man for four of their championships on the radio, reminiscent about Calhoun and company. Ari Russell, my wingman, from the days of Sirius XM and now uh, the days of Tune In with Final Fours. The coach, Mark Wise, who's been with me now for the better part of almost 20 years covering this NCAA tournament and the Final Fours, and now Matt Zimmer with me here as well thank you for being with us again subscribe to the podcast on itunes on spotify on spreaker on google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts it'll come automatically to you we've had a great time reminiscing uh here about the ncaa tournament with no games everybody hang in there be safe we'll get through on the other side and next march we look forward to 2021 and the madness being back for now We're done here reminiscing about the 2020 tournament that wasn't in all of our memories on college basketball coast to coast. Bye.